Good morning. It's really good to be with you and really good to sing with you. I have another scripture passage for us as well this morning as uh, we get into our word today. And so if you want to turn to Luke 13, verse 10 through 17. Now Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and just then there appeared a woman with a spirit that had crippled her for 18 years. She was bent over and was quite unable to stand up straight. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said, Woman, you are set free from your ailments. When he laid his hands on her, immediately she stood up straight and began praising God. But the leader of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had cured on the Sabbath, kept saying to the crowd, there are six days on which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be cured and not on the Sabbath day. But the Lord answered him and said, you hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to give water? And ought not this woman a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 long years, be set free from this bondage on the Sabbath day. When he had said this, all his opponents were put to shame, and the entire crowd was rejoicing at all the wonderful things he was doing. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this story. We thank you for the way that you were at work in this woman's life all these years ago, for the way that you continue to straighten us up, to relieve us from ailment, to set us free. Lord Jesus, thank you that you inhabit this space with us today. Would you come, Lord Jesus, in your name, amen. Some of you may remember 10 years ago in 2010, the world watched and I was one of them as we were moved to compassion and empathy with the story of the 33 Chilean men who were trapped in the underground mine. Do you remember this? They were trapped in that underground mine for 69 days. And I, like the rest of the world, watched for news reports, watched the videos of their faces through, through, the, through that long pipe that they sent down to send them food, wondering about their survival. The men battled starvation, hopelessness, fear, boredom, deep anxiety as they lived together in this reinforced metal location that they called the refuge. The group lived for the first two weeks on a spoonful of tuna a day and a few sips of water. With a calm, level-headed foreman who became their leader in survival, they voted together on group decisions, organized their days and their space, and they waited. When asked how they managed to keep all 33 of them alive, one man said, as a group, we had to keep faith. We had to keep hope. We had to believe that we would all survive. On that day in October 12, 2010, the world came together in a rare bit of unity <laughs> to cheer these men on as a NASA team developed this rescue plan that was determined to extract the 33 men. An estimated one billion people watched live as a rescue capsule descended one-third of the way through rock and dirt, and then brought up the first 16-minute trip to the surface, the first, and then all 33 restored. 
Now, we don't have to think about their ordeal for very long. Some of us are perhaps more claustrophobic than others. I have a little bit of claustrophobia, but none of us have to think very long about this scenario before our own panic buttons could get easily pushed when you think about what it must have been like to spend even one day, let alone 69, in this dark pit. While we don't share this kind of trauma, hopefully, all of us could share, if we went around, could share a time in our life when we felt a wave of panic, of anxiety, of being stuck. As Lo was just telling us, this is the season for feeling stuck. A lot of us can identify with the emotions around feeling stuck. Uh, not only do we talk about the effects of the pandemic on our emotional and social lives, the combination of the pandemic, the grief of lost family engagements, of lost time with friends, of disappointments like my daughter's college graduation that was just held virtually, the grief and loss of family and friends to death as a nation, the frustration of wearing masks compounds with all the other ways in which we just generally can feel stuck as human beings. Combine that with the polarization of our country that finds its way even into the streets of Wilmore and our churches, alongside the heaviness that we carry in the human journey, we may frankly feel tired and stuck. When I was praying about what message to bring to you today, I have to confess that I am selfish in my choice, and that's because I've been feeling really stuck. <laughs> stuck uh, with all of the pressures that comes from managing a COVID crisis at the university and keeping, trying to keep everyone healthy, of managing my daughter's transition from college in a time of no big engagements, for managing little kids in and out of school, feeling stuck. And you add that with all of the things that happen naturally in the course of life. So I've been turning to books and resources. What happens when you feel stuck? And I know I'm not alone, and certainly I hope that you don't feel stuck today, but most likely we could all talk about a time in our journey, if not right now, that we've felt stuck for either 69 days or perhaps 69 months, or maybe even 18 years like this crippled woman who met with Jesus. You may have been stuck, bent over for years for all you are caring for your family, your church, your ministry, your adult children, your small children, your own trauma. Or, or you may simply just be in the middle of a season where there's a host of disappointments behind you and it only looks like discouragement ahead of you. You may be in a space of grief and uncertainty because something just simply came to an end due to life's unfolding changes. Children grow up, jobs finish, moves happen, energies wane, health changes, family responsibilities heighten or reduce. And for whatever reason, you find yourself in a place that feels like you're walking through sand with uncertainty about how to even feel like yourself again. In times of feeling stuck, we sometimes realize that the old ways of getting unstuck are no longer working. Henry Nouwen speaks to this so well in his reflection entering the new country. He describes crossing the threshold of change like this. 
you know what helped and guided you in the old country no longer works. But what else do you have to go by? You are being asked to trust that you will find what you need in the new country. A long while ago, many years ago, maybe even before those Tulean miners 10 years ago, I wrote a blog post and I titled it Stuck on the Landing of Leadership. And I don't actually really remember the scenario that was happening in my life at that time. But nevertheless, I do remember the feeling, the feeling of being on this plateau and not really sure what God was calling me to do, how to move forward, how to move back. I just felt like I was spinning my wheels. Perhaps about that same time, I took my, the, the daughter that just graduated from college, I took her to a park and I drove up to the playground and she went off to play and I parked right in front of one of those uh, telephone poles that had been laid out as a parking stanchion so you would pull right up to it, it was half buried. And as we left that playground, I totally forgot where and how I had parked. And so I put the foot on the gas and sure enough, my car just went up over the hump of that telephone pole and stopped. <laughs> and so there I was putting my foot on the gas and all it was doing was spinning those tires. I couldn't get any traction. I was totally suspended in the air. <laughs> when the tow truck guy came, he said, how did this even happen? I was like, ah. <laughs> apparently I put on a lot of gas when I was leaving, I don't know. But nevertheless, you know that feeling in life when you are putting on the gas. But nevertheless, your wheels are spinning and you are stuck. You know, that woman who came to Jesus had been bent over for 18 years. You know this story. I'm sure you've studied it and perhaps many of you have preached it or wrote about it. I find it so interesting that Jesus acknowledges, the author acknowledges, that, she, that there appeared a woman with a spirit that had crippled her for 18 years. It's interesting that whatever was going on, the author recognizes as a spirit of depression or demonic spirit or some other illness that had affected both her mind and her body. And we know, don't we, that what happens in our body often happens in our soul. What happens in our soul is often expressed in our body. As followers of Jesus, we know, as followers of Jesus, we know that part of the human condition is to have seasons, even long ones, of feeling stuck. In his sermon on heaviness, John Wesley recognizes that almost all Christians will have time of heaviness of soul. Wesley takes great care to demonstrate in his message that being in heaviness is not the same as being in darkness. And the believer who feels this sense of heaviness still lives in the hope of Christ and is still kept holy. So we know as Christ followers that the answer to being stuck, we know the answer. We know that it, we just sang about it. We know that it begins and ends in relationship with Jesus. We know like the woman who, sought, who showed up in the presence of Jesus, that that is the answer to moving us out of being stuck. Yet nevertheless, when well-meaning people say to us, God is in control, joy will come in the morning, all things work together for good, it doesn't often bring us peace. 
Instead, we find it kind of unhelpful. <laughs> how, does that, how, how does that help me? How does that help me get unstuck? When we are bent over and crippled with our own stuckness, we need some really practical yet theological steps of how to live now and how to move forward. One of my mentors says, trust in God but swim to shore. <laughs> yeah, but when we feel really stuck, we don't even know which direction to swim in. Like, where is the presence of Jesus here? In these times, we need to know what is the next right thing that will move us towards Jesus. As a follower of Christ, we know that we need Jesus to bring us to freedom. But when we're stuck, how do we do it? When I'm stuck, and I imagine when you are, I tend to live inside my head a lot. Uh, sometimes it takes the form of prayer, uh, but often it takes the form of worrisome, cyclical ruminating. <laughs> and at worst, it can cycle down into circling thoughts of deep despair and sadness. As holy people, we turn it over and over in our minds. What's our next step? What is, where is Jesus in this? How do I get free from these emo negative emotions? What's my strategy? Did I do something wrong? <laughs> do I need to change my job? Do I need to find a different ministry? Do I need to end a relationship? Do I need to just be on the couch with Netflix? <laughs> What's the thing? How do we move forward? Well, I have three, three things, three very practical but yet theological ways forward when you're in this kind of stuck. And again, I told you this was selfish. I've been doing this work for me. <laughs> the first is, is that we need to start with our five senses to get out of our heads and into our bodies. We know just as Jesus healed this woman that our bodies and our souls and minds are intrin intrinsically connected. So the first step is to get out of our head and take note of our senses. So I've been doing this work myself, and a couple of weeks ago I was driving home from Lexington, and I was, I was starting to do this really circuitous, like, what's, wrong, you know, what's the strategy, what's wrong, what changes, a thing that we all as humans do. And then I thought, okay, get out of my head and into my senses. I am going to pay attention to the world around me. I'm going to look, because I was driving, right? I'm going to do a lot of looking in those senses. And <laughs> I'm going to pay attention to the colors of the trees. I'm going to take note of the beauty of creation. I'm going to get out of my head. And indeed, some of the most spiritual thing you can do is put on your shoes and open the door. Take a walk or drive outside. Walk with open ears and open hearts. Look for the birds you may not have noticed, the cat that you might spy hiding underneath the tree. Follow the sounds of the children. Look for and listen for the sounds and signs of running water. Drink strong coffee. Eat spicy foods. Experience the senses. Remind yourself that you are an embodied creation and that when we move out of our ruminating and into our bodies, it is a step forward towards Jesus. If you struggle with this and read the poets like Lo Aleman or Lucy Shaw or Mary Oliver, who are masters at helping us pay attention and get outside of our own ruminations. Another thing we can do when we are stuck is adjust our lens. A lot of us are, have that iPhone, and have you noticed? Oh, of course you have. There is that really cool portrait 
lens you can put on your iPhone, and when you try to capture that person in the portrait setting, it makes the whole background go fuzzy and distant. So you just get that person in the foreground. That's all you're taking the picture of. I think when we are stuck, or maybe when I am stuck, it's like I spend my whole life with my feelings and stuckness the only thing in the portrait mode. <laughs> the only thing I am paying attention to is my own stuckness and everything around it is blurry and distant. We become hyper aware of our feelings. We spend a lot of time taking the barometer of our health. How do I feel today? Am I feeling less stuck or more stuck? <laughs> When, we, when people speak to us, their comments suddenly feel pointed and directed. We are highly sensitive because all of our feelings are in our full focus all of the time. But when we reorient ourselves and change our perspective, adjust the lens on our attention, it begins to help us take the next right step forward. There's two ways that I'm thinking about this. One is the idea of transcendency. If I asked you to describe a transcendent moment in your life, uh, you most likely would talk to me about being present at the birth of a child, or you'd talk to me about uh, seeing a full sky of stars when you were out camping, or perhaps you talk about the end of edge, being on the edge of the Grand Canyon or at Niagara Falls. I mean, I would, might talk to you about uh, Crater Lake in Oregon. And when I stood on the edge of Crater Lake and looked down into this blue enigma of water, the deepest water in North America, over a mile deep, a blueness that fills a sleeping volcano. And when you look into it, you have this transcendent experience. You are filled with awe and wonder. And a word that you often would use when you start to experience transcendent things is this word small. I'm sure you've used it to describe yourself. I felt so small. The world felt so big. All of a sudden, I recognized how big the cosmos was, is, how small I am. Madeline, Madeline Lengel talks about this being put back in right proportion. Meaning that when you have your lens on yourself, when all of your feelings are hyper-focused, <laughs> that means you are the center of your reality. But what transcendence does, what awe and wonder does, is we get in right proportion. We put God in the center of our reality, and we recognize that our proper proportion to God is small. We recognize God's omnipotence. We recognize our small mortality. And when we are stuck and we recognize how small we are, it means that my personal feelings, my personal experience does not define God, does not define reality. That reality is actually the presence of God. And when I am small and I recognize the bigness and totality of God, that mystery sets me right. It is a step. It is a next right step. When you readjust the lens... Now, of course, we'd all like to go to Crater Lake, right? And have that transcendent experience... 
I imagine that there is other ways that help you welcome your smallness, that help you welcome that your experience and reality does not define the reality and the presence of God. That when you adjust your lens and God becomes the center, instead of your hyper-focus on your own stuckness, it changes things. You may find that readjustment when you're present with children, that readjustment when you're present with those who suffer, that readjustment when you're present with people in hospice, that readjustment when you walk the streets, not looking for your own feelings, but looking for God. Another way to move forward that is practical is to find someone to listen as a holy listener, not just to you, but to God. When we are in a liminal space, often what we do is we withdraw. <laughs> we want to hibernate. <laughs> we want to pull back. And certainly there is much good in taking a step back, withdrawing, uh, recognizing the ebb and flow of human relationships takes withdrawal and engagement and creating more space in your calendar certainly creates space to rest and to find Jesus. But no matter what, you don't need very many, but you need one. You need someone who listens, who listens as a holy listener. It doesn't need to be your best friend, and maybe it can't be. It doesn't need to be your spouse or even a person in the small group. It doesn't even need to be your pastor. But I wonder who it is that simply is present to listen. Uh, last Last year, Dr. Chris Bounds at the university preached this amazing sermon. Check it out on our, on our Asbury podcast. And he started out with this heretical statement. <laughs> and he said, don't throw tomatoes at me. He said, but the title of my sermon is God is not enough. And he took us all the way back to the Garden of Eden. And he took us back to the only time when God said it wasn't good was when it was not right for them to be alone. God was not enough for humanity. We need each other. He told this powerful story about himself as a young youth pastor visiting a very lonely, uh, dejected kid in a trailer park. And he would show up at this kid's house and his face was covered with acne. He was overweight. He was obviously in the midst of a lot of poverty. And he would say, Come, come to youth group, come to youth group. And sure enough, that kid would show up and go to youth group on Wednesday nights and he would go and listen and he'd leave and he'd go and listen and he'd leave. And at the end of the summer, Chris came and said, he said, how's your relationship with God? What's going on? I've seen you come to youth group, but how's your relationship with God? And the kid said, Chris, I've heard a lot about Jesus this summer, but what I really need is a friend. And I wonder how many of us even us in ministry experience that kind of like soul loneliness. Uh, I spend a lot of time with Jesus, but what I really need is that human companion who can listen alongside of me. But I wonder who can help you listen. So you see, when you look for someone to be a holy listener, you're looking for someone who can set aside their competition with you, <laughs> who can set aside having to fix it to 
you can set aside someone who uh, has to hold all of your own uh, journey with their own consolation. And instead, this holy listener can listen well to us in what Ruth Haley Barton calls the twin engines of desire and disappointment that propel us forward. You may be surprised who God brings into your life as a holy listener. And it may be a variety of people that you experience a moment with here and a moment with there. People that listen more deeply than your words. People who ask the questions. People who listen to God and not simply to your voice. If you're looking for a holy listener, you may try someone who's experienced suffering or has walked closely with someone who's experienced that suffering. It has a way of growing this capacity to listen. If you cannot find a holy listener, read the biographies or memoirs of the saints of the church as a way that helps give perspective. I've loved the character studies in George MacDonald's books, such as The the Baron's Apprentice, The Curate's Awakening, that help me understand the human condition and what it means for people to move through the journey with God that gives us perspective. So three ways forward to move out of your, to move out of feeling stuck. Get out of your head and into your body. Adjust your lens. Look for a holy listener. When Jesus saw this woman bent over and stuck, I love this part of this little story. I love that it says that Jesus called her and put his laid hands upon her. As I wonder, I wonder about this woman. I wonder about her story because how would a Jewish rabbi touch a woman that is bent over? In half. I mean, if she's bent over in half, would Jesus have healed someone without looking into their eyes? Maybe. This is just conjecture. But to me, I can imagine that it would be Jesus who would get beside this woman and get down on his knees in such a way that he could put his hands on her feet put his hands on her head and look into her eyes and say, daughter, you are healed. And I wonder what are the things in your life that Jesus is on his knees with you in because you are so bent over. One of my most spiritual practices is to walk a labyrinth. It it does some of these things I'm talking about, connect my heart and body, usually be outside. Uh, The labyrinth has a way of reminding me of the smallness of my experience and the bigness of God. When I lived in Oregon, I lived right near in my little town, a beautiful labyrinth that became my altar, my place of prayer, my thin space, and I walked its circuits as often as I could. And it became the place where I uh, exhaled my spiritual and emotional clutter as I went into the center of the labyrinth, which is, reminds us of going into the heart of God. And I would unload it all and get to the center and sit in the silence 
and listen and on the way out, listen for what's the answer to the question of my soul? I, I remember a time, and I think it was around the time of this, when I was stuck on the Landing of Leadership blog post, <laughs> that I was feeling really pressed in and stuck. And, and as I went through those circuits of that labyrinth, all I was doing was like, like it was all coming out in this like vomit torrent of like heartache and unresolved, frustrated stuckness, feeling unheard and unknown, all the things we human beings carry with us. And I got to the center. Where was God in this? No, nowhere. <laughs> couldn't, couldn't get to God. On the way back, as I slowly walked through these circuits, I noticed that my spirit had calmed. I was able to listen a little bit more deeply. And I remember the Holy Spirit spoke to me. And the Holy Spirit said to me, Sarah, you can trust the path I have you on. I will bring everything into your path that you need for maturity and completion so that you will be lacking for nothing. Sarah, you can trust the path. Very simply, the Lord reminded me that no matter of my feelings of being stuck, no matter how crippled and bent over I felt in parts of my life, that the Lord would not abandon the work of his hands, like in Psalm 138.8. And just like our passage in James we read earlier, that the Lord would bring everything into my life that was needed for maturity and completion. And the next right thing is simply to trust the path. For those of you who, when I say the next right thing, are thinking Frozen 2 in your minds... <laughs> Way back in the late 1800s, there was a woman named Minnie Pohl, and she wrote a poem called The Next Thing. I read it in a book by Emily Freeman recently, and you all can come up. We're about ready to sing together. So here's the poem. From an old English parsonage down by the sea, there came in the twilight a message to me. Its quaint Saxon legend, deeply engraven, hath it seemed to me teaching from heaven. And through the hours the quiet words write like a low inspiration, do the next thing. Many a questioning, many a fear, many a doubt hath its quieting here, moment by moment, let down from heaven, Time, opportunity, and guidance are given. Fear not tomorrow's child of the king. Trust them with Jesus. Do the next thing. Do it immediately. Do it with prayer. Do it reliantly, casting all care. Do it with reverence, tracing his hand, who placed it before thee with earnest command. Stayed on omnipotence, safe neath his wing. Leave all results do the next thing. Lord Jesus, we're your people and we confess that there are many times in life when we are bent over. We need your presence. We need your healing. We need to know the next right step. Jesus, thank you that you will not abandon the works of your hands. Thank you that uh, we can trust the path that you have us on because no matter what, you will bring into that path everything that we need for maturity and completion. 
Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen.